And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Greetings and welcome to Dark Bill. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Mike Trout is coffee. At Starbucks with a double latte, skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> You're reading, and welcome to Starkville, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Starkville is now part of the Athletic Baseball Show, where you'll find great baseball talk all week long and all postseason long. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for the Athletic, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, frustrated Connecticut driver, Doug Glanville. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, People should know, Doug is doing the show this week. From the side of the road, somewhere in Connecticut, <laughs> Doug, what are you doing? Well, this is this is my commitment to Starkville, and and as we know, home is where the heart is. Uh, Starkville is everywhere you want to be, and so I feel like it doesn't matter if I'm on the side of the road or if I'm at an airport or wherever. Starkville <laughs> will be brought to the world, so I'm very committed to this, and I'm safely pulled over. Uh, there's some jackknife truck like a few miles up. I don't know what's going on. And I've been sitting in the same spot for approximately 63 minutes. So um, I'll, after this wonderful show, I will find a solution. It might be helicopter. Uh, it might be underground tunnel. I might dig my way to my house, but I will figure out a way to get out of here. Yeah, yeah you will. I know you will. And just don't jackknife. But it's a funny thing. Like the, only the tractor trailers jackknife. Nothing else in life. Jackknives. <laughs> Even the jackknives nope. really barely jackknife anymore. <laughs> uh, so, all right, so now that we got that out of the way, um, one more ha- piece of housekeeping. I know people look for us first thing Tuesday mornings, but as I explained last week, it's kind of a busy time of year. Uh, I know I spent all day Monday traveling from Atlanta to LA on like three hours sleep. Uh, I'm guessing all the other bleary people on that flight wouldn't have been too excited about having me recording a podcast on the plane while they were trying to sleep. Um, What do you think, Doug? How how would live podcast entertainment go (laughs) over on a morning flight across the country on a weekday? Well, you'd probably get that alert saying it's time to close your laptop and get off the phone. (laughs) So I I don't think that would go well. Yeah. but I would vouch for you um, if you were detained at some point. I would vouch for you. Well, there's nothing more important to me than you vouching for me. <laughs> but I'm not going to do any podcasting on the planes this October. It's just 
a, just one of those quirks I have. Yep. Don't podcast on the flights. Uh, Doug, nope. as you know, I have been covering the NLCS. Uh, so we're going to be joined uh, just a few minutes by one of the great broadcasters of our time, Brian Anderson, who's calling that NLCS on TBS in his usual eloquent style, along with Ron Darling and Jeff Francoeur. But I just thought I'd mention why this series is an extra throw for me. Uh, These have been the first postseason games I have covered live since Game 7 of the 2019 World Series. And uh, as you know, I love October. It's honestly, I think my favorite part of my job, the stuff I get to see and describe. But last year, you know, we all had to do what we had to do, which meant doing our jobs, whatever they were, remotely, and even that job. So that's how I covered the postseason last year from my house uh, and via Zoom. But now I'm back at the NLCS, and it is so special and energizing, man. Uh, I'm sure you can relate to that, can't you? Can't beat it. This is the time of year, man. This is it, where it all comes together. Of course, I I reflect back to my Philly fandom as a kid. Uh, some of the heartache, 77, 78, the Dodgers kept knocking the Phillies out. But then finally in 1980, uh, got the glory. So, I mean, I always think back to childhood just as much as I think to playing career and what we were fighting for every spring training, 03, uh, made the t- got the taste in, with the Cubs. So those Chicago days really crystallized that, you know, this is what it's all about. And I remember the fact that most of my career, I didn't get to celebrate. I didn't get that chance. And when I did finally in 03, I realized, wow, this is what all these great teams have been doing year in, year out. It's really addictive. It's, a, it's, it's, it's infectious. And not, not only just for your own uh, successes, but because you build a community around you and you realize that uh, the legacy is so runs so much deeper than your finite career that these fans especially in Chicago, for example, had been waiting for a long time. And then you think about what we've been through the last two years with the pandemic and people just not being able to celebrate at the pinnacle of the sport, you know, just no fans. And it's so different to be able to enjoy it finally and seeing the response of the audience and the fans and everybody just connected. So, I mean, I I paid really close attention if more than I would normally, given it's my job and also my passion, but it's been so fun to see just the energy and the fact that the players are openly talking about the importance of having fans back at these games. Yeah. You know, really one of, one of my favorite things in life is to, to be in a ballpark in October where the home team wins anything because that feeling that you get being in those ballparks is unlike anything you experience anywhere else in life. It's great. And there's been a lot of great moments in October. Uh, So you and I could, if we were going to talk about what we've seen so far, we could kick around a million things. But, you know, you have so many thoughts, Doug, about the rules of baseball and especially the hazy, crazy, quirky rules of baseball that I have to ask you about the way that the otherwise amazing Giants-Dodgers series Ended last week um, for the for the twelve people left in America who can't recall how it went. Uh, I, I, I just want to we're going to hear it one more time. This was n- two outs, ninth inning, game five, Dodgers 
Giants. Let's hear it. Balls, two strikes. And Flores, did he go? He did! And the game ends! What a way to end the game. This. Oh, oh, boy, that's bad. I don't think he went. That's bad. Can't end the game that way. Wow. It's Brian Anderson and Ron Darling, and it, it, it still aggravates me. Just to hear it again, uh, Gabe Morales, first base umpire, good umpire, but he rings up Wilmer Flores on, on what didn't look like a swing to anybody except him. So with all due respect to, to Gabe Morales and to every umpire, uh, who, who like these guys have to make these calls in real time, and I appreciate how tough their jobs is. With all due respect, he can't make that call. Doug, uh, it's a it's a few days later, but what did you think then? What do you think now? No, I, I I did not think it's a swing, but then I thought about it a little further, and I said, wait a minute this this whole determination, this rule by which this judge swing or not is actually pretty unclear. Uh, I believe yeah. I texted you and said the rule is too squishy. It's too squishy. Uh, I don't. I, you know, I know I played a long time. And- I, well, one, one, one second. Yeah. One second. Squishy yeah. is yeah. the Starkville word of the day. If you can use the word squishy in a tweet to describe our show as you're listening to this, uh, I will definitely like it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Back back to you, Doug. Yeah. I mean, I don't, but you know, look, I mean, even playing, there's a lot of rules. You probably don't really know that well. Right. I mean, infield fly, do you run on the third strike? It's like, yeah, you know, whatever the umpires will tell me, whatever. So there's a lot of stuff that you probably don't pay all that much attention to, especially as a center fielder and worrying about like, oh, they're putting the wheel play on, on the bunt. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. Put it on. But do I know exactly the signs of all that? No, I probably don't. So the point (laughs) being is that a lot of times there are certain rules and the check swing slash swings is always been unclear. Breaking wrist. Does it pass the plane? It's a judgment. And, and Gabe Morales made that judgment uh, based on, a lot of history of watching this most of the times with that type of swing, it's not called the swing. He just did not do much. Like if he hit the ball, it would have been like a foul tip over the, you know, on deck circle or something. It would, it just did not seem like he made that type of commitment. But once again, this is how I'm describing. I can't tell you like, Oh, at a 45 degree mark. And when the bat crosses home plate and like, there's not that type of clarity, just like a balk move. Is it a balk? It's Oh, we kind of, so it's too squishy. So I think we have to yeah. really think about how we can be a little clearer about it. And maybe maybe you need like, and maybe this is where the robot umps come into play. I don't know, but <laughs> no. something just seemed right. And, and then on top of it, it just Wait, ended. We do not want the robots. The we don't want the robots calling check swings. That's never going to happen. Right. <laughs> they're right. not that. But they're, it, like robots are smart. They're not that smart. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, it, so, it, it, right. It ended the series. I mean. Yes. Uh, that's the right. other thing. Like, I mean, yeah. Do you okay. Have a hold on. Wait, hold on. Hold on. All right. Hold on. Hold on one second. Let, let's get, let's try to do this one thing at a time. The rule in general, we, when you say we need to think about this, look, what do we do here? You and I help everybody in baseball think. That's our job. We're not very good at that, but we help. So there are two ways you can go here. Um, the Atlantic League, a couple years ago, they tried out a rule that said basically there was no such thing as a check swing. If you didn't really swing, 
<laughs> no, that's that's not a swing. These little half swings are never strikes. Okay, that was the way they went. But there's another extreme too. I used to talk to Jim Riggleman about this. Uh, Jim Riggleman probably managed you or coached you somewhere along the line, right? So he, Jim Riggleman's thing was every check swing should be a strike. If you check swing, it means you were fooled. The pitcher fooled you. Why are we giving the hitter any credit? The, the pitcher won. He fooled you. You started the swing and you realized, no, this is a bad idea. So we could go either of those two extremes or leave it the way it is right now. I don't think leaving the way it is right now is the way to go. I kind of like the Atlantic League ex- rule because there's so much clarity in that. What do you think? Well, I, Jay, I, I just, the word I like that you said is clarity. I think that's really important because it creates a sense of oversight. It, it, it's repeatable. It's something that we can sort of create consensus around. I think that those are important elements to it. And look, I love our game for its nuance. I love baseball for its nuance. It's important that we figure out how to celebrate the game for some of the things that aren't always blatantly slapping you in the face like, you know, did you kick the ball through the uprights? I mean, that that's fine. And there's parts of the game that exist like that. But I think the problem is that we've gone on some of these things for the traditional purposes. And then we don't take the time to rethink, you know, whether it's the running lane, you know, things that have, were formed in 1885 or something like that. Uh, I love our traditions, but I think we have to realize that now with the technology, now with the advanced information, now with the evidence, the cameras, all that pushes us to really reconsider some things. And the check swing throughout my whole career, I was never clear on did he swing? It felt it was arbitrary. I mean, you know, so I, I think that in and of itself tells you, is it a balk? If he, you know, I was a base stealer, so I was always fighting over blocks. Like, oh, he, he stepped over here, it's 45 degrees. Oh, that's not the rule. You know, so <clears throat> given all that, I just think it's time to revisit it. And, it, and it's not simple and it's a, a very difficult call, but I think we can make it easier, not only for, everybody to understand it and to have oversight, but for the umpire's sake, quite frankly, yeah, they'd have a better chance. So Exactly. Yeah. They, they, they would prefer that too, by the way. <laughs> All right. I'd, a couple more things. Uh, one is you just sort of touched on this. Should officials in any sport be making calls like that in that situation, or should they use more discretion when the game the season, the fate of two teams that good are literally riding on it. My vote is no, they should not. We should always err on the side of players deciding these games, these seasons, these series. Always. That's in every sport. Um, Doug, what do you think? Well, Jay, I agree with you. And I, what I, in sort of defense of Gabe Morales, um, I know it is not that easy when you have a certain instinct for a call. You know, it's a, I mean, is it possible that, I don't know who the home plate up was. Is it possible that he could have said, not even appealed, right? Just said, no, no, I'm making the call here. We're not going to end on this note. You know, that's what, you know, if you're the, the, um, the chair, the chief, uh, is that, you know, the crew chief, is that something that you consider to not put Gabe Morales in that situation? I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's happening awfully quick. And it's something that 
you want to, you, you know, a lot of home plate umpires take criticism for not appealing. And you and people generally players kind of feel like, oh, the better view is from the guy in the field. But this is one of those cases where to, to kind of eliminate the conditions by which it's all on Gabe Morales, the home plate up could just be like, no, I'm not even going to appeal. He did not go. Partly passing along that spirit that you just talked about. We can't even run the risk that it's going to end on this note. You don't want to end, you know, on a foul in, in the in the paint or whatever in the game seven of the NBA finals. Uh, we all, all these sports have these kinds of rules, but I think once you put a person in a position that's operating in real time, I think it creates a really tough situation where they might react on their instincts and his instincts told him he, sw- he, he, it swung and that's it. And, and then, then the cascading effects happen after that, but it was too late. Yeah. You know, as, as a parent, um, you know, as the, as, as the father of a, of a daughter and the, uh, you know, a, a guy whose wife was involved with a, <laughs> with a situation where a high school volleyball season, a trip to the state tournament was overturned by a, a an official on match point to send my family's, my daughter and wife's team to the state tournament, uh, an official decided to show how smart she was and overturned that point. And, uh, you know, the, everybody in my family is scarred by that call because that call decided their season, their whole story, you know? And I, 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 I'm, I've always been pained by this. This is something that officials need to think about more Seriously, I know they say, uh, nope, a call in spring training is the same as a call in game five and then division series. No, it's not. I, I want that to be out there. One more quick thing. Um, yeah. You just said it. We're looking for clarity. Should replay come into play on a call like that, uh, on check swings, and especially check swings in that spot should there be some mechanism where you can always appeal a call of that magnitude no matter what it is well jason you're now you're forcing me to put on my systems engineering hat right now (laughs) and and so what i would say is i would say yes but the only way you could build that system is if you start at the foundational level so that means once you go down that road to say we're reviewing it excuse me, once you go down that road to say that you're going to review it, then you need more clarity. You have to have, it it just pushes it further to have to have clarity and have a consistency of a system so that you can uh, judge it off of that system. So fine, you know, we have the technology, but then you now have to be clear about, did he break his wrist? Did the bat go past this plane? Did he turn his hips? Was he getting out of the way of the ball? Then you have to also (laughs) clear up those things. So I personally think that the exercise of doing that and bringing technology in would actually be a really good way to review the call and how it actually should play out. But that's that's the slippery slope of technology. Once you go down and kind of create some sort of automatic or automated oversight, then you are now forced to, to plug into the system, plug into the computer, so to speak, the parameters and the criteria by which you're judging things. And that, to me, is something that they probably need to do. But you have to realize that once you do that, then all bets are off. Now you really have to bring that in on these doubtful situations. And I think the balk and the pickoff moves should be in the same boat. All these like inside moves and step to third and 
whatever, you know, I know that's kind of banned. Yeah, we need to uh, look at these things. Because look, everybody's watching it on TV now. The oversight is already there with the millions of fans. You can't really hide it. And I think, you know, baseball, like football explains their penalties. Here's what's happening. Here's like, that's what baseball needs to do. Like what's going on? It'd be good to inform people. Then you get a little bit more educated. And then I think you, you push your way to better standards and more consistent standards. Yeah. And I know we have a lot of replay haters out there. Uh, I, I know that it's frustrating. We feel like uh, there are calls that even with replay, they don't get right. Uh, it makes the games longer and slower. There, there, there is some of that. But you know, here's what I here's what I tell people about replay because this is the most important part. We get more plays right now than we ever have at any point in history because of replay. Almost always, you go to bed this time of year thinking the right team just won because we got that call right. And nobody, nobody, not fans of either team, not the players on either team, definitely not those umpires, want to wake up the next day and find out that that call and that umpire are the lead story on SportsCenter. And MLB tonight, and they're going to, everybody's going to talk about it all day long on every talk show in the universe. Uh, replay saves us mo- so many times from that. Replay could have saved us and saved Gabe Morales and saved the, the, that game for a better ending. Uh, and I, I think we all wish that it could have and should have. But, you know... Like we can, we can talk about this all day long. We're never gonna settle a darn thing. No, we never, no. we never do. But I have an idea, Doug. I think we should drag somebody else into this debate. And how about we ask our special guest star this week, Brian Anderson? Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, time to bring in our special guest in Starkville this week. It's the great Brian Anderson, the voice of October baseball on TBS. Brian, <laughs> thanks for joining us, my friend. Oh, man, it's great to be here. Always great to be with you. I love talking baseball with you anytime, Jason. Back at you, man. Um, Doug, for this portion of the show, has had to put on his professor cap, Brian. So, uh, you know what? We, yeah. There's not there's not room for three of us anyway, so <laughs> Doug yeah, is gonna have to just take a pass. We'll call him out of the bullpen when needed. 
Yeah. Like, we don't need any professorial opinions here anyway right now. No. We've got, no. <laughs> got some baseball to talk about. So uh, Doug and I have just been kicking around the uh, the awful ending to the great Giants-Dodgers mm. series, which you called for TBS with Ron Darling. And, you know, Brian, I give you so much credit. Uh, you were adamant in the moment. Uh, you said that game cannot end that way. So why don't you and I talk about it? Uh, tell us what you saw and what you thought when Gabe Morales called that a swing on Wilmer Flores. Yeah, I mean, I think um, the check swing is always a hard one, the, the check or not check. Um, so I, I, I understand that from an umpire's perspective. I guess in the moment it was like, man, this is such a classic game. It's We've had a, we've had a final at that moment. Uh, it came from the visiting team, the Dodgers. So you didn't have that swell of a of a crowd, like a walk-off moment, like we saw in the Atlanta Braves series, the first two games. Uh, but you did have a, a final at-bat conclusion. It was it was leaning towards, and then to end it on a play like that. And what I really wanted to say there, and I'm I'm actually kind of kicking myself that I didn't. It would not have been the popular opinion. But what I really wanted to say was. Gabe Morales, who's an excellent umpire, is going to feel terrible when he sees this replay. Um, and and there will be nobody that's more upset than he is, just because I know umpires just like you do. And those guys take their job so seriously and and they really they want to get it all right and they work hard at it and they're always in the firing line. You know, the the bullseye is always on their back. They don't have home games. So I had a lot of empathy there for Gabe. That said, I think in that moment, um, you know, whether it's a rhythm of an umpire or how you think about certain plays, just like we're asking infielders to be prepared in A, B, C, D scenario, outfielders, managers, pitchers, broadcasters, we have our A, B, C, D scenarios. If this happens, kind of happens fast in our minds, but we, we think about that. That's kind of where I believe... Uh, I've never umpired a baseball game in my life, but I believe there could have been those those preemptive strikes, man. You know, like I can't, we can't have a game in on a check swing. If it's a close play, am I going to do this? If it's a bang bang play at first, see what I see, call what I call. But boy, those check swings, man. Like it's just, it was like a rotten ending to a great game, and it didn't <clears throat> affect the outcome. <clears throat> you don't know what would have happened in the at bat. Percentages tell you that Wilmer Flores would have made it out because he's facing Max Scherzer there. But, you know, you never know. Like we, we could have had a could have had a moment, could have had a two run home run that changed the score and changed history. And um, so that that's kind of was all in my mind at, at that moment. But the one thing I wish I would have said was uh, he he's going to feel terrible when he sees this because he cares about getting the job right. And, you know, we were off the air so fast. I mean, we looked at all the replays, but uh, that's where I kind of stood with it all when it ended. Yeah. I have that same, that same kind of empathy for all umpires, all officials. They, they've, they've got to make these decisions in the moment. I, I, I get that. Um, here's where I come down on this is I, I just, I, I just have a thing when I watch sports, because I care about them so much, about officials deciding games, let alone series, let alone the fate of a season, a 107-win team's season. And I know people say, you should call everything the same. 
but you just kind of framed it. Um, the, the, the umpire, does the umpire have to look at that the way he would look at a, at a check swing and spring training? No, no. <laughs> the context always matters. Yeah, I agree with that. And the umpires would blow back on that. It's kind of the same argument when we say, well, this guy's a pitcher's umpire or a hitter's umpire. They hate hearing that. And they've told me so before. Um, but there are umpire scouting reports. They're available online. Teams have been coming up with umpire scouting reports forever. Um, so it does matter. There is the human aspect. And I don't want to lose that either, by the way. I, I want, I love that it's all part of the picture and there are great personalities. And, you know, I think to be an umpire in Major League Baseball is absolutely the hardest officiating job in any sport. <clears throat> and I have a great deal of respect for the umpires. Um, I do, and their jobs and the, and the difficulty of their lives. Um, they certainly chose this life, but, and they can get surly too, and they can have bad days too, but I'm with you. It, it just, um, you know, what can you do? It's like, it, <laughs> it's part of history. Now it's going to be the check swing game. Uh, that's unfortunate for the Dodgers because they are the ones who probably get a little bit of the, uh, you know, of the shine off of what they accomplished because they did win two games back to back facing elimination <clears throat> and the last one on the road in San Francisco in a hostile environment to take down the division chance. Like that's on its own is incredible. It's an incredible story for the Dodgers, but that's going to be known as a check swing finish. So um, yeah. just kind of what it is in history, you know, <laughs> it's, it, it's true. And, you know, umpires are like us. They just want to get the calls right. That's all we all want is to get the calls right. So let me let me ask you about this aspect of it. Uh, Doug and I kicked this around. Should replay be used in situations like that? Yeah, I actually think um, two things for me. I believe that uh, the check swing should be discussed. <clears throat> I think it. We, we're going to have to get to a better place with the check swing. Um because replay is so good and, and it's our fault in television. Uh, our technology is advanced to the point where we can see things with our cameras and our replay speeds that the human eye cannot. So the initial, uh, I would put foul balls, foul tips in that category too, which is not reviewable. Um, why isn't it? You know, you, you can review a hit batter that ticks off an elbow. Um, so I understand why they wouldn't, but if we're going to do that, maybe we can create a challenge system. I do like the idea of a challenge system because then it puts a little strategy in when you use your, uh, your challenges, um, the, the, you know, we, we can't have endless challenges. Obviously the games would go forever, right? But, you know, I've always advocated for a fifth umpire in a regular season. It'd be a seventh umpire in this scenario. They're already there anyway, a seventh umpire in the playoffs. Um, there's always an extra guy with the six that are on the field. But why couldn't that person be in a position where he's in a, a video room getting all the best technology, all of our camera angles, very similar to the replay scenario, but at the at the venue, part of the crew. And we know who that person is. And then those evaluations are coming down quickly. So I know it's a complicated problem and you can't just um, you can't go in on every single detail. Uh, of every single game, but man, those are the kind of moments where first you define what the ch what a check swing is. Uh, that's the hard part. The rule book is extremely vague on what a check swing is and what a swing is. 
Um, so we either call every, every forward motion a swing, which, you know, like that would get you <laughs> thinking too. I mean, yeah. if you're a hitter, if every forward motion is a swing or it, it's gotta be something definitive. Like, is it a break of the wrist? Is it a, you know, I, I don't think you can say where the back crosses home plate. I don't think that works because people stand in different spots on the plate. Um, but a break of the wrist to me feels like a swing. So if you're not now we're I'm on, I know we're audio, but I'm showing you visually on our zoom, <laughs> but if there's a break of the wrist, that's a swing that move right there. If there's this, I don't think it is. So that's my opinion though. I would love to hear everybody's opinion on that and then have them get in a room and decide what's the consensus and let's go with it. Um, yeah. I guess that's where I would ultimately land on that. Yeah. I, like, I don't, you know, I don't want this whole show to be about checks, wings, but, but we, could, we could go down <laughs> are, that rabbit hole very easily enough to go there, Jason. You know, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Starkville, the, the check swing episodes. <laughs> have a look, a little tease at the end. Yes. Uh, uh, let me ask know? you one more thing about it though. Yeah. Uh, let, uh, how, I just wanted to ask you about how outspoken you were personally in that moment. Uh, is that a tough call when you're broadcasting? A game like that, I'm, I'm sure some people would say, wait, you're the play-by-play guy. That's yeah. not your place to express that opinion. <laughs> what, what would you say to those people? Uh, I would just say, and that I'm sure that criticism is out there for sure. I mean, I think, um, you know, it's kind of all over the map, especially in the playoffs. You get it all kinds of ways. Um, for me, and I guess what, I've, what I was told by the great Bob Costas, you know, 15 years ago, was you just have to feel it and say it and be it. And sometimes you're going to have to apologize for that, uh, which I've had to do at times. Sometimes you don't get it right. Um, but you have to kind of just be in the moment. And whatever the moment is and whatever you're feeling, and I have all this experience, and my experiences are different than Joe Buck's or um, you know Don Orsillo's or Adam Amin's or Joe Davis, anybody calling playoff baseball. My experiences are different. My background is different. So... Um, I, I can't be, I'm not Vin Scully and I'm not going to ever be Al Michaels or, or Bob Costas, but I am Brian Anderson and I have my experiences. And in those moments, you have to just be in it, be in the river. <laughs> and then uh, people on the river banks um, can say what they say. And again, if you miss it and you mess up, you got to own it, apologize and try to be better the next time. But it's very, very much relying on instincts and I'm not thinking about it. I'm just, I see it, I call it, I say it, we move on. Uh, for me in that moment, there's the, there's the, the swing that was not called a check swing. Um, now the Dodgers are pouring out of the dugout and onto the field. They have won the division series. So in my line of work, in my mind, I've got to move past the check swing, the non-check swing and get to the Dodgers have won the division series. And those are the moments, the calls that define what is happening here, because the Dodgers are certainly not stopping their celebration to wait for an explanation on was that a swing or not. They're partying and we we're <laughs> capturing that moment. So we're capturing all these things that are happening in real time, knowing we're going to get back to a replay of that last play and then we'll be able to break it down so for me it was did he go they'll ask he's out it's over the celebration the Dodgers win the series they're moving on they're playing the Braves all these things in my mind talking about the advanced thinking we just mentioned earlier 
these are the things like if the game ends here, these, these are kind of the steps and pieces I want to put together to get to the end of the broadcast. It's like beer bottles coming out of the assembly line, you know, <laughs> Laverne and Shirley style. The beer bottles are coming no matter they if are. you're ready or not. You know, you're you're putting the, you're capping them. So um, that's kind of where I'm I'm at in those moments. And I'm not thinking about like, should I inject? Should I not? Um, it wasn't until we come back and do the replay sequences. And now you get a real good look at, you know, for us, we have to capture the Dodger celebration before we can even go to the replay. So I'm sure for some viewers that was agonizing to wait to get a replay. But, you know, all of us have done baseball. That outcome is not changing based on our replay. It's different if our replay, it's in review and it could change. The game's over. We know it's not reviewable and we know it's not changing. We'll get you the replay. But first we have to acknowledge this celebration and the team that's won the game. Then we roll those back. And then you're like, oh, ouch, that was a missed call. <laughs> and for me, it was like, I don't remember what I said, but you can't, I think you, I can't, you can't end the game that way. Or, you know, it's just like, for me, it was like, oh man, you can't end a game that way. You know, like, like you and I would at the bar, like, oh, you can't end a game that way. <laughs> and that's kind of where it landed. You know, I don't know if it's yeah. right or wrong or whatever, but it was authentic. Yeah. Those people on the riverbanks, are they ever looking to help pull you to shore? They really do. I know. No, no. They, <laughs> They're definitely, they're trying to scrape the side so the river gets wider, uh, especially when the home, t- or especially when your team loses. That's yeah. when you really hear from the, uh, the crowd that, you know, I always say, uh, I Joe Buck gets it worse than anybody ever, um, but we all get it. Um, but I, I'm only here to celebrate success. So if your team ha- is the team that the success is happening against, you are not going to like what you're going to hear. And that includes my team, the Brewers, when I've done them twice in the postseason, both times they lost those (laughs) series. And my own fan base that I'm with every single day in the summer, you know, thought I was the biggest trader on the face of the earth because I'm celebrating a successful moment for the Cardinals winning the NLCS in 2011 against Milwaukee. I mean, there's still people that bring that up in Milwaukee and I'm, I'm their guy, you know? <laughs> so it's a different, I, I, it's a different animal. I, I've so been there. You are such a traitor, such a traitor. Exactly. It's, it's very unfortunate that one team loses every one of these games. And, you know, it's like I used to remind my wife all the time when she was coaching, there are two teams playing. <laughs> you know? Yes. And they're trying to, they are trying to. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, Nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash theathletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. 
Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra-flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. Uh, let's talk about the series that you and I are working yes. Dodgers and Braves uh, as we're recording this. Uh, we got game three coming up in a few hours. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I, I felt like coming in, people almost had a dismissive view of this matchup. And I'll tell you what it reminds me of a little bit. Uh, I'm a tennis fan. And it kind of feels like, okay, Federer and Djokovic already <laughs> met in the semifinals. Yeah. Now Djokovic just has to play that Daniil Medvedev in the final. Big deal. But then you start watching and you say, wait, Medvedev is great. Wait, the Braves are great. Uh, do you get any sense of that? Yeah, I do. I think there's a little bit of that Red Sox-Yankees, you know, kind of feel like, oh, you know, for those outside New York and Boston or those fan bases, you know, People are uh, enough with the Red Sox Yankees, you know, but because it is a familiar matchup and it's a familiar matchup. If you go back long enough in baseball and for me in my childhood, the Braves in the West, you know, the Braves and the Dodgers and and they've had some moments. But I think there's a lot of things uh, that led up to maybe that uh, that line of thinking. Number one, the the series between the Giants and the Dodgers was so intense and so historic. And the first time they technically met in the postseason, all of that was part of it. It's, it was a little bit of exhaustion there, too, I think, you know, from the Dodgers' perspective. Um, the Braves have 88 wins in the regular season, but they're a much different team as now we are all getting to see. And so I think there was a little bit of exhaustion and how much can I invest in a series especially when you've invested in the Dodgers and Giants from this side of the fence uh, and the Brave, you know, the Braves had a, a series with the Brewers where they had its huge moment. And um, there's all that connection with Hank Aaron and Milwaukee and, and Atlanta. So I don't know. It was just, it kind of ended up being like, Oh, these are very familiar name brands that there's nothing so special about it from a historical perspective, even though there is, but it's not a first time. It's not something we've seen. We just saw this last year. But then the games start. And if you're lucky, like we have been, to witness um, incredible endings, walk-off finishes, comebacks, uh, then now that I think that's over with. I think now both fan bases are totally engaged. And then even the casual fan is like, whoa, 
this is actually really great, you know? So I, I think that was just kind of the lead up to it. And the Braves had four days off, you know, between their games. So um, I think all that kind of led to maybe a little bit of apathy prior to the series starting, but our, uh, based on our ratings and I'm sure your clicks and all the things you're doing, I think people are really into it and interested, and that's cool. It's cool to be a part of. Yeah, yeah, this series has really been so much fun, and I, mm-hmm. I think one reason it's been so much fun is there's been so much action. Uh, there's so much little ball. We've had a lot to chew on stolen bases and yes. big plays and close plays. Uh, debates about, hey, should Ron Washington have been sending those runners home? <laughs> hey, uh, you and, know, if we and, look at and Ron Washington, if he, those are inches. Yes. Calls, inches. It's a totally different conversation if those are out. Oof. I mean, think about the narrative there. I mean, Phil Nevin just went through it with the Yankees and is no longer he with did. the Yankees. Like, we're having a different conversation from inches. You talk about game on the margins, man. And I think the game is at its best in the playoffs because it's a beautiful game when there is that humble approach and players are hitting behind runners. They're, advanced. they're, they're playing the game to score a run. And oftentimes, unfortunately, in my opinion, in the regular season, they're playing the players are playing the game and they've been rewarded. So it's not their fault because that's the reward system. They're playing for contracts and numbers and home runs pay and OPS pays. Um, So it, it changes though, right? The incentive of winning a game changes how you play the game. And we're really seeing that in the National League. And it's a beautiful game when it plays out like this. Yeah. You know, it, it, for us, what we're looking to present is an entertainment product. And when games revolve around action instead of how many home runs did you hit tonight, that, yeah. that makes for great entertainment. Yes. Am I right? No question. We all love home runs. but And home runs are going to happen. And, uh, you know, we I love watching home runs from Mickey Mantle and film of Babe Ruth and all that. Like, I love that as much as anybody, but I also love the way the game was played, the rhythms of the game. That's what the baseball documentary was so great because Ken Burns really allowed all of us, you know, this is what, 30 years ago now, but it allowed us to see, for me especially, games, you know, that I wasn't alive for, the rhythm of the game, you know, the the speed between innings. Uh, And we're guilty on television because our commercial logs are so long, but... Uh, there is a rhythm of the game that's been disrupted. So I would love to try to get back there. Uh, Commissioner Manfred has not asked my opinion on that, but I would love to uh, try to get back to a little (laughs) better rhythm of the game. I'm not saying let's do that. Yeah. It's not like let's speed up the game. I don't like that phrase. Yes. We want to, we just want the game to have rhythm. And I think we've seen it in our postseason anyway, in the national league, the American league, a little different story, but in our, our side of the bracket, man, it's been really fun. Yeah, I, as I told you yesterday, I feel like we hit the baseball lottery when yeah. we drew this series. And you personally have hit the baseball lottery yes. this whole month. How, how many great games have you called already? Oh, man. And it started with the uh, you know the last day of the year uh, on TBS. But So I've done eight postseason baseball games to this point prior to game three of the NLCS. And four of them have ended in the final at-bat. Three of them have been walk-offs. So actually, maybe five have ended in the last at-bat. But they've all been really good games for the most part. And so that's all you can ask for. And, um, you know, who knows? Maybe we're jinxing ourselves into a uh, <laughs> into a lopsided affair. You know, at some point in the NLCS, there's going to be a 
10 to two game. It's coming. <laughs> I can feel it coming, but we'll deal with that yeah. too. Right. We're, we're missing out on a lot of grand slams, but we've seen some great <laughs> stuff. Right. right. Uh, I, I, look, we both got to go here, but I, I just quickly, I'd love for people to hear a little about your story because I don't know how many people know you are not one of those broadcasters who always dreamed of doing what you're doing right now. Am I right? <laughs> That's right. Yes. My father was an insurance salesman. So um, I did not have that path by any means. I didn't even know it was possible. Actually, my brother signed out of it. My older brother, Mike, who's a scout with the Texas Rangers now, he's assistant to the general manager. He's great at his job. He's an incredibly gifted baseball man himself. Um, he, he, he signed out of a pro contract out of a tryout camp and uh, a cattle call. Chuck Lamar signed him. Amazing. And he made it to the big leagues and uh, is like the greatest, greatest accomplishment in my family's history. And what it did for me was it, it opened up a world that I did not know existed. I was a college baseball player, scholarship player and a small college in Texas. And I wanted to be a player and maybe go into uh, potentially sports writing or PR uh, or scouting. Uh, but when I started following my brother around my brother, Mike, when he was coming through the minor leagues with the Reds, I used to go sit with the radio announcers and this is when I'm in high school, you know, senior year, high school, freshman, sophomore, junior year in college. And I, I was just like, I had absorbed so much television and radio, baseball and sports that it was in me, you know, it, it's almost like a musician who knows how to play the notes, but doesn't have a guitar. I was, <laughs> that's what I felt like. And once I saw a headset and a mixer on a radio, I'm like, whoa. I think I could do that. I think I could do that. I would be mimicking these guys as I'm watching them. So all through the, through the line, I would come up and watch these guys. And um, so, you know, long story short or long story long in this case on a podcast, I, I just went for it. And when I was done playing, when I graduated from college, we shared the field with the, uh, the double A team in San Antonio. We shared the same ballpark. Um, and I got a job with the missions to throw batting practice and catch bullpens for Bert Hooten, who was the pitching coach wow. and do the middle three innings and set up all the equipment. Cause I had a technical background. I had worked as a camera operator and graphics and audio. I did all kind of technical stuff while I was in college and playing baseball. Um, I did a lot of that public access television and I did the Spurs handheld camera for the Spurs, all that. So I kind of brought a, like a lot of little things to the picture. And then as I got going, I didn't take it seriously for the first few years. It was just hobby habits, you know, whatever, uh, having fun partying. I was the same age as the players, but you know, and then I'm married and now I got a kid coming. And then when I got serious about it and tried to be, be better at the craft and, uh, you know, that's when it kind of took off. And, but I spent nine years in the minor leagues, Jason, I know you know that, but nine years calling baseball play-by-play -play in the Texas League in San Antonio for the San Antonio mission. So I didn't think I was ever getting out of there. And I was doing some other stuff and I saw some progress in my career, but I felt like I, I kind of zoomed fast to get the job, plateaued for a very long time with no movement. Um, and I felt like I was improving and I was getting a lot of great feedback, you know, that, wow, you, you're a big league announcer. You could, you could do any sport. And I was doing all the sports too, but then I got the Brewers job. Well, I went to golf channel first 
for four years. I worked for Golf Channel, and then I went. I got the Brewers job in 07. And the second I showed up in Milwaukee, just because you're on a big league stage now, that's when all the national stuff came. And I started working for Turner, TBS in 08, and then ultimately the NCAA tournament and then the NBA and golf. And so it's I never dreamed any of this for my career. Or never had an a- aspiration to do this or that. I certainly don't even see myself in that light even now. Um, but I've just said yes to all these opportunities that have come up and tried to do my best. And, you know, I'm not being humble. I'm not because I've worked hard at it, but uh, never imagined anything like this happening in my lifetime. Well, it really is amazing um, how much you you do, how, how, how you find the time to do it, how great you are at everything you do. So, w- all right, one last question. What's the wildest and craziest your schedule ever got where you're bouncing from sport to sport or city to city. And you could have sworn you, you could have sworn you just saw LeBron James strike out against Max Scherzer or something. (laughs) Well, we're, we're into it now because, uh, you know, there's two windows. There's two really, well, probably three, there's three tough windows, not tough. I mean, it's hardly work as you know, um, but the MLB postseason, which now spills into the NBA. So I have an NBA game two days after game seven of the NLCS. Huh. So I'll be in New York calling the Sixers and the Knicks. Um, so, and the baseball playoffs, you know, is travel and games every day. Then the NCAA tournament, the NCAA tournament is the one that gets you because it is, <laughs> it, there's so much prep and there's so many teams. So I will do sometimes 12 different teams in six days at the first week of the NCAA tournament. And that is a big, big load to try to deal with uh, mentally, try to keep them. And these aren't household names, obviously, for the most part. Uh, So the NCAA tournament's the one that kind of taps you a little bit. Um, And that leads right into spring training, which leads into baseball. And then the NBA playoffs, (laughs) um, which is, you know, the NBA, they're recognizable names and big names and, you know, all of that, but there's a lot more pressure involved in that. Um, so those are kind of the three pockets, the playoff season. So March Madness, NBA playoffs, and then uh, Major League Baseball postseason. But otherwise, again, like I, I was used to doing 200 events a year. You know, I, I did a 140 game minor league schedule on the radio by myself a lot. Yeah. Um, and then I would go do as many games, basketball games as I could and football and swimming and diving. And, you know, so I'm used to working. I like working. It, it feels like um, something that I've always wanted to do. It doesn't feel like a job per se. It can get taxing the travel and being away from your family. But, you know, as I've gotten older, my prep skills have gotten sharper. So I can, first of all, you have recall things you've seen and you can relay that. And you know how to go get certain things that you want to know or what would be interesting. And just kind of, kind of, you know, I learned long ago to cut down the bookwork and be present. Again, back to this whole idea of just being present in the moment. The stuff you get on the field where you and I run into each other all the time, that's where it all is. You know, anybody can go to Wikipedia or Google and read about it. I call it media guide information. That's all there for people nowadays. Um, for me, it's like, what can't they get that I can deliver them? And that happens when we're on the field in those moments, when you're in the presence of players, when 
there are no cameras and you know it's not been tweeted out yet it's those little pockets um that's kind of where i'm leaning into now so i used to kill myself with prep now i just uh, and it still gives me a little anxiety but i kind of show up with okay let's see where this river is going <laughs> to flow and let's go with it you know so yeah but 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 you've never called Craig Council Coach no. K or vice versa. No, like I have uh, I have <laughs> sometimes I mix some of my basketball and uh, you know my <laughs> baseball or football. I can't remember. There was an example I said one time. Uh, I, I had just done a golf event and then Stephen Curry hit a three pointer and I said, "Oh man, right down the pipe," which is obviously <laughs> a golf term, but it kind of worked for a three pointer that didn't hit the rim. And I was like, "Wait." Can I say that? I don't know if I can say that. So anyway, uh, I, I find myself crossing my uh, my verbiage every now and then from sport to sport. Well, Brian, you're you're awesome, man. Uh, it, it's you. such a busy you time. Too. Can't t- thank you, my friend. I, I can't tell you how much uh, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, I'll see you on the riverbank at Dodger Stadium. That's right. No, you're in the river <laughs> with me. Get on in. Yeah, I am. <laughs> All right, Jason. Sink or swim, baby. Thanks, it's man. Pleasure. This is where we interrupt the fun parts of our show for the part where we humiliate ourselves in front of the American public, (laughs) which means it's time once again for listener trivia, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. Uh, We are such gluttons for embarrassment that we just keep literally involving you every week by inviting some lucky listener to join us on this podcast to stump us with some baseball trivia question that, frankly, is way too hard. (laughs) So maybe next week, that lucky listener could be you, and we'll tell you how to do that in just a few minutes. Uh, Doug, uh, this week we asked our listeners for postseason trivia questions. We got a bunch of them. Uh, After looking them over, I think it's possible we could be even worse at postseason trivia than we are at regular <laughs> season trivia. And does it even seem possible that we could be worse? Like we've set that bar so low, how would we even duck under it? Well, um, yeah, my dad was from Trinidad, so I know all about limbo. And yeah. uh, our bar right now is actually below the ground. It's under the earth right now. <laughs> so I think in some ways, if we decide to rethink it and say our job is to step over it, then we're golden. And, and the positive I feel is we should think of it this way. We're here for our audience and they're doing a great, what's, the, what's their record in trivia? Let's think of it that way. What's their record? <laughs> it's like 21 and five. So we make everybody feel fantastic. They come on the yeah. show. And they emerge victorious. So I think we have to see the glasses half full. That's true. We've turned the entire planet into Cy Young Award winners. Absolutely. 20-game winners. Yeah. <laughs> Look, hopefully. We've done it. we Yeah, we have. Hopefully, we're going to stumble into getting one of these right sooner or later. But I, I doubt it's going to be this week. So on, on that note, uh, let's introduce this week's special trivia contestant. It's Chris Arnold. Chris. Thanks so much for joining me and Doug Lanville in Starkville. Thank you, Jason. And it's a pleasure to be here. So, well, so we um, ready with the question? <laughs> well, wait a second now. Hold on. Uh, before we get to the part of the segment where you crush our spirits with trivia, <laughs> <laughs> just tell us a little about yourself. Uh, where are you from? 
And sure. what made you want to bury us with your trivia question? Well, uh, I saw your tweet, and uh, I had had the uh, pleasure of being in Philadelphia in 2008 for the clinching game of the Phillies World Series, and I saw Cole Hamels accept the World Series MVP award. And uh, so I'm from the Philadelphia area, though I'm originally from New York, and uh, we're, we don't have uh, postseason baseball. So instead of that, I thought it would be fun to uh, win something for Philadelphia here by <laughs> stumping you guys. <laughs> okay. Uh, you're not going to get a parade out of this. Just so you know. <laughs> but, understood. But, understood. Yeah, but it, like I like your chances. Uh, we don't get any kind of question right. This is our first chance to get a postseason question right, but we'll get it wrong. So let's just do it. Chris, what is your trivia question? My trivia question is, um, please name the player or players who have won the World Series MVP more than once in their career. Mm. Um, all right. Well, all right. I, 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 that's a really good question. <laughs> um, I think we have the right to at least ask, how many players are we looking for? It won't matter. <laughs> right. we, we're not going to get them anyway, but just tell us how many do we need? Uh, we're, we're looking for three of the greatest players who ever played the game. Oh, really? Okay. Well, that's, that's good terminology. That's a good hint. And the other thing is, or when did the World Series MVP award begin? Didn't so start the, the, beginning of the Sport Magazine MVP award began in 1955. Mm -hmm. um, okay. The and um, technically continued up till what 2001, 2002. We're not going to confuse it with the Babe Ruth Award from the New York Sports Writers Association, but it's that MVP award for the best M, uh, player in in the World Series. All right, so um, we're, we're starting late 50s into the 60s and beyond. And mm -hmm. so, I, so mm -hmm. I, I tried thinking this through by decade, by era. Um, yeah. I've, I've, I, it feels like Sandy Koufax should be on this list, right, uh, from the 60s uh, where the Dodgers won a couple times. The other two big World Series teams in the 60s were the, uh, the Yankees, obviously. That would have been, yep. let's see, they lost a couple. So they won in 61 and 62, if I'm right. And then the Orioles um, were there a lot between 66 and 70, 71. I remember Brooks Robinson put on a show in one of those, whether he was the MVP twice. I'm not sure. It seems like that could be a stretch. The, the trouble with those 60s Yankee teams, it could be anybody. It could be Mantle. It could be Maris. I don't oh, know. Uh, let's let, let's think about it. Um, okay, then the seventies. We had those seventies A's teams. We had the Big Red Machine. Yep. Uh, yep. We had the Yankees won it a couple times, and so I had a great thought on this one. Reggie Jackson yep. went to the World Series with all those A's teams, and he went back with those Yankees teams. I think he's yeah. a good guess, right? So I, 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 let's, I, I think we should put him down. All right, now. Yeah. 80s, uh, we have the let's see, the Cardinals went back three times. Uh, there's a lot of there's a hodgepodge other than that. We had the Blue Jays teams of the 90s. We had the mm -hmm. Yankees from 96 to 2000. So Mariano yeah. is a good one, right? Um, Jeter. The Red 21st century, the Red Sox have won four times. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I did some research in this uh, just last week, and Big Poppy, just the, the postseason numbers are incredible. So he's a definite possibility. Then we get mm-hmm. uh, the, the three Giants teams that won, but – Ooh. Doug, I, you know, I covered all those. Yeah. I, I don't think there was a two-time World Series MVP. I know Bumgarner won in 2014. He didn't win the other years. Uh, I want to yeah. say Pablo Sandoval won the year he had the three-homer game. Yeah, um, Tigers. So, okay, I don't – so we – like, we there's like a hundred possibilities. A <laughs> hundred. Uh, my best guesses would be Koufax we've already gotten, Reggie Jackson, David Ortiz. What do you think? Mm. Well, you know, you've done such comprehensive research. I, I hate to even throw a wrench into it. Um, I've just, I, I mean, I've just been trying I mean, to think it through. I mean, I thought through like, like by, you know, it had to be a player that clearly the team had a lot of success in a short period of time. So it had to be very close to dynasty. Obviously, I saw the Yankees. I mean, so I'll ask a question. So you don't think Jeter ever won more than one or Bernie Williams or any of those uh, cats? Any- I, Ber- Bernie Williams crossed my mind. He, uh, yeah. He definitely won one of them, uh, if I'm not mistaken. He he definitely crossed my mind. But remember now, Chris yeah. just said these are three of the greatest players who ever lived. I think Bernie's mm-hmm. like a little bit short of that description. Um, yeah. Well, here's another. Here's uh, another one I thought of. All right, Roberto Clemente, because he was in '60. Then they beat the Yankees, and then '71 they beat the Orioles. I, I'm close to that. Yeah. Yeah, that's I, a good point. I'm, I'm very confident he won one, one of those MVPs against the Orioles, probably. I don't know about right. 60. Wouldn't Mazeroski have won in 60? Uh, mm. Oh, wait. 60 was the year that the Yankees outs- the Yankees outscored the Pirates but lost the World Series. And I, I, I what? I wasn't, there was a Yankee who won that World Series MVP. So really? The name escapes me. I think so. Wow. <laughs> still, people still debate that stuff. Uh, okay. So All right. Clemente's a great name. I don't think he's right. I'm sure I just talked you out of it. Okay. Go ahead. What, no, what else you got? no, I don't I don't think I have. I mean, I like Reggie. I like your guesses. I mean, Ortiz, I mean, does he fall? Yeah, I mean, he probably will fall in that category of one of the greats of all time. Certainly DH. Yeah, I, I, those are good guesses. I don't have any, you know issue with them i think they sound good i went through the same logic of different eras and let's let's go yeah. with it i know here like here's what i'm worried about is that there's another reggie like character who he played on two different teams and one with two different teams but well what about pools did pools not because freeze won one year right david freeze yeah and they only won twice okay right? so they went that. back but they, I, they only won yeah. twice, so that's why I, I didn't mention him. Um, yeah, good I, okay, let's just yeah, let's stick with it. These are good if, guesses, though. Yeah, if, if you know, look, if we follow our usual pathetic pattern, we'll <laughs> mention the right answers. We won't actually guess the right answers. So why are we prolonging this, uh, Chris? Let's bring you back. Uh, we've we've got Sandy Koufax. So the other two, is there any chance that it's Reggie Jackson and David Ortiz? Um, one of those two are correct. All right. And it's <laughs> two out of three. <laughs> right, which, which was the one we got right? Uh, Reggie. Um, hey, hey. 70, what, so which, which 73 yeah. against the Mets and 77. Um, and 77 was that great performance where he hit yeah, two home runs the in the game and four home runs oh. consecutively. It was just, I mean, he's Mr. October and 
one. one. <laughs> right. How could we not guess Mr. October, Doug? So that was yeah. good. But we missed the yes. other one. Did, yeah. so, did we mention him? We probably mentioned you, him. Right? You mentioned the team, but you didn't mention <laughs> the team in the right decade. Okay. All right. So the team good. that you missed was the St. Louis Cardinals of the yeah, 1960s. Oh, okay. Gibson. Yes. Did we win it? But they, Bob wait, they only, but they won, they only won, oh, they won 64. I was thinking they, 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 they had those back-to-back 67, 68 and only won once, but they won in 64. They did. Uh, so get Bob Gibson was the other? Is the third correct answer. Yes. Oh boy. <laughs> and if, if you look at two pitchers and Sandy's, um, pitching on two days rest in the seventh game and Bob pitching on three days rest in the seventh game. I mean, these are absolutely incredible, incredible performances uh, yeah. in the postseason that deserve to be remembered. <laughs> no, so. no, no doubt. Um, incredible performances by them, by us. Not so much. <laughs> you, know, you know, Doug, this, like, this is getting to be like a cartoon where at the end of the every show – we get run over by a steamroller. <laughs> I, I think I, I, I think we're now five and twenty three this year. We're, we're worse than the sixty two Mets. <laughs> we're like uh, Super Dave, wasn't that Super Dave Osborne? That that show. Um, I think. Yeah. I think. I, I think we should get a sponsor uh, of like a flailing fish. You know, like Chicken of the Sea or something. <laughs> I think that would be. I think that would be fitting for this segment. <laughs> it, it would be. We could get T-shirts, um, flailing fish in Starkville. Uh, look, if you listen regularly, you know whether we get the question right, like that ever happens, or wrong, we still bring in our acting mayor, Cameron Molina, to distract everybody by playing some fantastic play-by-play clip involving this week's question. So, Cam, the possibilities are so great this week. I cannot wait to see what you came up with. Uh, Mr. Mayor, what are we going to hear next? Well, listen, first of all, these options were limitless. Uh, as Starkville is sponsored by Bass Pro Shops and the Flailing Fishes. Uh, no partial <laughs> yeah. credit here on Starkville. And no better Never. way to celebrate October than with Mr. October himself, Reggie Jackson, Game 6, 1977 of the World Series against the Dodgers with this mammoth homer. Reggie Jackson, well on his way to becoming a future Starkville trivia answer. (laughs) How come they didn't say that? He's made it. He's arrived. Yeah, he has now. You know, he thought being Mr. October and getting into Cooperstown was the pinnacle. No. (laughs) He's one name we actually got right on Starkville trivia. So, So, Chris. Great question, my friend. You, you really made us think, which is always a dangerous thing. So uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, great to have you. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. Strange but true. 
All right, we arrive now at one of our favorite parts of this show. It's the f- part where we look back at the strangest but truest stuff that happened since our last show. And luckily, October continues to furnish us with plenty of material. Uh, before we get into that, though, uh, Doug, we need to provide this important update on our huge strange but true story of last week, which was Garcia Palooza. <laughs> that was the uh, the epic strange but true moment in the Astros White Sox series, where in the middle of an at bat, Dusty Baker pulled Luis Garcia so he could bring in Yimi Garcia, who then promptly allowed a home run to Leori Garcia. <laughs> God, we just love that. Um, And, you know, you might have thought that was us just being stupid as usual, but I I know now that we were onto something. Here's how I can tell. The Elias Sports Bureau, the official statisticians of baseball, actually looked into this. Now, I'm going to guess Tim Kirkshen had to put him up to it, okay? But they revealed uh, this was not the first time in postseason history that one pitcher came in for another pitcher and both of them had the same last name. Uh, Back in Game 7 of the 1979 World Series, that would have been Orioles and Pirates, the Orioles yanked Tippy Martinez out of the game in the ninth inning so he could be replaced by Dennis Martinez. (laughs) Dennis. But Yeah, but usually it was the other way around, right? But did either of them pitch through any Martinez's? No, they did not. So this is great info, but Doug, I'm going to make a ruling on this right now. This was not the equal of Garcia Palooza. Are are you in on that? Oh, yeah. No comparison. No comparison. (laughs) Not at all. How how could you possibly? Less letters. Yeah, less letters. And did they face, did did, did Tippy and Dennis face a Martinez, I, like Edgar I don't think or they ever did. I, I went like I. This yeah. is how sick I am. I, I, every, I went through every Martinez in history to see if there was any chance they could have faced a Martinez in that World Series. No, that like that. The the, the sport was pretty much devoid of other Martinez's back then. They would have we would have had to bring up like fifteen year old Edgar Martinez <laughs> to. to Bat for the Pirates, that didn't happen. Um, but just so you know, here, here in the NLCS, which I'm covering, we have the potential for more greatness because in game two, Will Smith, the pitcher, faced Will Smith, the hitter. Now, last year, Will Smith, the hitter, hit a home run off Will Smith, the pitcher, in the NLCS. In this instance, Will Smith, the pitcher, struck out Will Smith, the hitter, and the good news is there's got to be more Will Smith against Will Smith to come. And just so you know, Doug, I can definitely get jiggy with that. <laughs> I, I went there. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to Miami. <laughs> right. All right. Let, let, let's get to my pick for the uh, strangest but true, truest moment uh, from the, the, the stuff that I've covered over the last week. Um, this happened in game one in Atlanta the other night. A Dodgers relief pitcher, Tony Gonsolin, was at the plate. Here's what happened. Against Max Fried. And a ground ball. Tough play here. Long throw, Swanson. And Gonsolin beats it out. (laughs) Yeah, that was Tony Gonsolin getting an infield (laughs) single. Didn't see that coming. Uh, All right, Doug, here's my question. What do you think 
was so strange but true about that? Well, I'm trying to figure out if a relief pitcher hit that late in the game or something in the world, <laughs> not the World Series, but in the playoffs. Like, when does uh, yeah, when does that happen? A relief yeah. pitcher hit for yeah. himself. Okay, well, I, I, I can actually I can actually reveal the answer to that, but uh, let, let's let's talk big picture first. You know that very well had could have been the last hit that any pitcher ever gets in the history of baseball. That's the non-Otani division, of course. Uh, and it was a hit by a relief pitcher. <laughs> that is strange but true. Um, obviously, we don't know for sure if it'll be the last hit by any pitcher. Uh, we don't know for sure if the universal DH is coming next year, but if it is, I'm going to say it'll definitely be the last hit by a relief pitcher. So to honor this momentous occasion, I did the research to ask, to answer that question that you just asked. I looked up every active pitcher who got a hit in the postseason as a reliever because of course I did. <laughs> Okay, in the middle of the night, of course. Uh, here, it's not that long a list. Uh, it's Brandon Woodruff of the Brewers, Brian Anderson's Brewers, in game one of the 2018 series against the Dodgers, hit a homer off Clayton Kershaw. Now, like, there might be a little asterisk about this because Gio Gonzalez started that game. Uh, like we were debating the other night, was Gio an opener? He went two innings. I don't know what he was. But anyway, that's how Brandon Woodruff came to be in that game and to, to hit. Good hitter. Hit a home run off Clayton Kershaw. Andy McCullough just wrote a whole story about this. Uh, and then the other, this is tremendous. Archie Bradley, when he was with the Diamondbacks in the 2017 wildcard game, hit a triple. <laughs> Archie Bradley. And, 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 and now we have Tony Gonsolin, with an infield single. So, Doug, what's your level of sadness if that was indeed the last hit ever by a pitcher Oof. in baseball history? Yeah, that that would be the end of an era because you have to imagine the glory that we would celebrate in Starkville if there's like a walk-off home run by a relief pitcher. <laughs> uh, and, I mean, that would be just too good to be true. Now, I'm, I would still hold out hope that there'd be some, you know, 18 inning marathon game. And then they had no choice, but to pinch hit with like Max Scherzer or something. I, I think that could be still on the table. Cause remember we, when we talked about our yeah. competition about American league pitchers versus nationally pitchers, we thought it would end. <laughs> and then Zobris pitched at the last game of the season. Cause it was yeah. just something he wanted to do. Right. And that, and that like created the tie. That was, that was too sweet. So I still think there's, there's some, first of all, there's some good hitting Max Fried, for example, there's some good hitting pitchers out there that I think we'll get in a bat somewhere, even if the rules create the universal DH. Uh, uh, yeah. But if we have also, if we have universal DH and zombie runners, well, I don't know what the, yeah, well, no, no, <laughs> that no. ever happening. Yeah, and, no. and Ben Zobras pitches uh, the, the, the top of the ninth and then hits a homer in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, that is not going <laughs> to count. Okay. I'm not, I'm not going to count that. We need Bartolo moments. Not Ben Zobers pitching moments. That's yes. Not we're like we like those too, but we don't like calling Ben Zobers the pitcher also a hitter. Like no, right? It's not. <laughs> it's not. That's not. That's not happening. Okay. Um, so that, we might have seen a momentous baseball moment that nobody cared about, but us as usual. 
Uh, All right, that's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, We've been here every Tuesday, all season long, as part of the Athletic Baseball Show. And we promise we will make more podcast magic throughout this postseason. Uh, So will Ken Rosenthal every Monday. So will Hunter Pence and Grand Brisby on Thursdays. So will Keith Law and Derek Van Riper on Fridays. So stay with us all postseason long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety absolutely free at Apple, Spotify, everywhere you get your podcasts. And of course, you can still find us ad-free at The Athletic app. And if you like what you hear, we would love it if you would subscribe and give us one of those five-star reviews. Thanks again to everyone who has already done that. If you'd like to read our work or any of the fantastic writing on our site, there is no better sports writing anywhere than in The Athletic so if you thought about subscribing, just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. You can still subscribe for 50% off. So check us out. You'll be happy that you did. Also remember, you too can be part of this podcast. Every week, we're, we're inviting listeners to stump us on the podcast with their trivia questions. And that happens every week. Okay, so if you would like to do that... Oh, yeah. You can email us a question at starkvilleattheathletic.com or you can go down that Twitter route. And if somebody were going down that Twitter route looking for Doug Glanville, how would they find you, Doug? Well, hopefully by next week, I won't still be on the side of the road in an emergency lane. But if I've come out of it, you can certainly find me at Doug Glanville, D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. The highlight of every show when Doug spells his name, and I'm going to spell my name now. I am at J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. That's at Jason with a Y-S-T. Please remember to hashtag those questions. Hashtag Starkville QS. All right, Doug, thanks for playing from the side of the road. Thanks to Brian Anderson (laughs) for visiting us. Thanks to Chris Donald for the way too difficult trivia question. Thanks to the acting mayor of Starkville, Cameron Molina, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Coming up Thursday on the Athletic Baseball Show, it's Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. Doug and I will see you next week on Starkville. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.